Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, Teachers, uh, I do want you to know, and, and maybe you already do, so maybe I just want to remind you that your words matter. We could probably pass a microphone through the room and we could have a number of people share words that they remember from a teacher maybe decades and decades ago. Maybe they're positive, encouraging words. Maybe they were insulting and undercutting words. Your words matter and they stick with people. And it may be the moments that you feel are insignificant. Oh, I just had a bad day. Or, oh, they're probably never going to remember this moment when I encourage them. But I'm telling you, your words and your actions matter. Students, your words matter. The way that you conduct yourself, the way you talk about and to other people, your words matter. They make a difference. For those of you who have said, I'm following Jesus with my life, your words and actions matter in part because other people are looking for your words and actions to match what you believe, or maybe, maybe more to the point, looking for the ways that your words and actions don't match what you say you believe. Your words and actions make an impact. They make a difference. And I don't mean that as any sort of uh, warning, uh, just there's an incredible opportunity there. The opportunity to know that the things you say make a difference in the life of somebody else. And I think maybe it's, it's most stark and easy to point at in a situation like a classroom because most of us have experienced a classroom and we know what that dynamic is like. But the truth is, this is an opportunity for every single one of us. That your words, in your context, in your workplace, in your living room, in your neighborhood, at your grocery store, your words and actions matter. You can make somebody's day before you ever get to work just by how you treat the barista or the clerk at the grocery store. Your words and actions demonstrate for others what you believe, what's important to you, your priorities, how you want to live your life. They leave a mark. You never know which words may be the ones that make an impression or an impact. Maybe it's easiest to see this. If we don't believe that our words matter to others, maybe it's easiest to see it in reverse. We know that other people's words have mattered to us. We know that other people have said things that have led us to define ourselves in a certain way. Maybe it was an insulting or undercutting remark. Maybe it was that encouragement, that belief that somebody else had in us. The words that we use to define ourselves matter. The things that we say and think when we look in the mirror matter. The things that we believe about ourselves when we're trying to make a decision about whether we go for something or not matter. Words end up being how we shape, how we see ourselves and the world around us. Whether they are lies from our enemies or the truth of scripture, words are significant and forming. For instance, this word, it's going to work better if I turn this clicker on, this word, follow. Follow. When Jesus started his ministry on earth, he started with very ordinary 
everyday people. With fishermen and money handlers, political activists. And when he went to them, he didn't invite them to come change the world. He didn't invite them to come and gain power and honor and prestige. He didn't tell them to come and believe and have the right answers and win all the arguments. To the fishermen, he said this. Jesus called out to them. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. To a money handler named Matthew, who is the one recalling these words years later, he said this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. To both, to all, he said, come and follow me. Come and follow. I have a job for you to do. What do we know about this word, follow? I think a few things that we can know about it that were significant to what Jesus was inviting people to do. Follow is an active word. It's an action. The people that Jesus was inviting to come and follow him couldn't simply sit back and be passive. They had to make an active choice. He didn't call out to the fishermen, hey, come and follow. They, weren't, they couldn't have said, sure, yes, I will follow you. So you just go on and you do your journeys. Hit me up when you come back through town. I'll be right here. That's not following. Follow is an active word. And follow is a with word, which I know is a terrible sentence. And I apologize to all English teachers. But follow is a with word. Just by necessity, if you're going to follow someone, you have to be with them, marking their footsteps, their actions, and responding in kind, which means that following also has two other implications, and, and I think when Jesus invited people to come and follow, he certainly intended these implications. Follow is imitation. Following is imitation. You've probably played the game, follow the leader, or Simon Says, when I think of follow, I was thinking about this word this week, one of the first things that came to mind was one of our VBS volunteers, a couple of our VBS volunteers actually leading kids through screaming follow the leader games out in the parking lot during snack time. Very energetic. If you've ever played follow the leader or Simon says, you know you mark the steps and the actions and you're replicating the one that you follow. Whatever they do, you do. Following is imitation. Now, if you follow someone a lot, like if you think of a child, a very, very small child who is learning to talk by mimicking the sounds they hear the people around them using, that's learning to walk by watching the humans around them get up on two legs and move around, or occasionally learning to walk by watching the dog a lot, if you spend, is it more of a bear crawly kind of thing, if you spend a lot of time with somebody, like a student 
following a teacher or a child following a parent, and you actually intend to follow, not just be near them, but if you intend to follow them and imitate them, what will happen is that following will change you. Following will change you. It will change how you move through and engage with the world around you. It may change your perspective, your decisions, or your compassion. It will definitely change your habits and your unconscious responses. I know I am not the only one who has found myself talking or just sitting and gone, when did I turn into my dad? Like, this is how my dad sat in this chair. I don't know when this happened. I do, I, I do unconscious fiddling things like my dad does. I, I never set out to go, I am going to act just like my dad. But uh, turns out that following will change you. To be a disciple, a follower of Jesus then, means that we are to be with and be like and do like Jesus. To be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, means that we spend time with Jesus. We allow ourselves to be changed, to be more like Jesus, and then we imitate the life of Jesus, his words and actions. Now, this is what Jesus was inviting them to when he said, come and follow me. Come and spend time with me. Come and learn from me. Come and imitate what I do. But this invitation was not just for Jesus's very first disciples. We may not be able to move through the world physically with him, but Jesus is inviting us to follow him in our lives to be everyday people like those first disciples who respond to this call to follow, who spend time with him and are changed by him. Not to become Christian superstars who have it all together, not to gain power or honor or prestige, but everyday people who will learn from him and imitate him in our lives and our relationships. One of the things that I love about this invitation from Jesus is that he knew that the people he was calling, that those first disciples would mess it up. He knew about Peter's impatience and propensity to talk before he thought. He knew about Thomas's doubt and Simon's political zealousy and Judas's desire for power. He knew all of it. And he invited them to come and follow anyway. He knows that you are not perfect. And he's inviting you to follow him anyway. He's not asking you to show up perfect. He's asking you to come and spend time with him, to learn from him, to be changed and molded One of those uh, fishermen that Jesus called was a man named Peter. And he would follow Jesus for uh, three years. 
learning and growing. He would utter words that are now famous for their faith. He would utter words that he would later regret and words that still resonate 2,000 years later. He would see Jesus's life and death and new life resurrected with his very own eyes. And after all of that, he would lead groups of people who were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus without Jesus being physically present with them. He was trying to lead the early church. And so one of the ways he did that was to these people he was leading, he wrote letters, trying to communicate some truth, some encouragement, some challenge, some accountability to them. And we have a couple of those letters preserved for us at the end of the New Testament, very creatively called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in this first letter we have for us, Peter opens the letter this way. It says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle is one of those first disciples, the closest to Jesus, the ones that he spent the most time with, the ones that he said, okay, after I have died and risen from the dead and have ascended into heaven where he is still alive and active today, he said, after that happens, I need you guys to lead this movement. Peter is one of these apostles. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, obviously. I'm not in your head. I know I find these words really intimidating. That the Spirit has made me holy. I don't feel very holy. The darkness in my mind and heart does not match my idea of what holy is. I'm not always the best at obeying him. I mean, I know this is theologically true. I know that when Jesus died on the cross, he overcame sin and death. And I know that we live in a world, in a time, in a season that is both already and not yet. That Jesus' death to overcome sin and death has already happened. And sin and death still mark our lives, still grieve us, still disrupt any idea of holiness and perfection and e eternal life that we might have. It is already true, it is not yet fulfilled in our lives. This is true of our holiness. That when we said yes to Jesus, we said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. If you have said that, that Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want you to run my life because I keep messing it up. <laughs> However it is that you came to Jesus to see him as your savior and Lord, he in that moment set you apart as holy. 
He covered you with his holiness so that you would be adopted as a child of God. You are adopted into the holy family. You are holy. And you are not perfect. Which is why I'm so grateful for the last part of this verse, where Peter writes to these early disciples, the early church, may God give you more and more grace and peace. Peter knew his people well enough to know that they were not forgiven once and forever after perfect. And you and I know that we are not forgiven once and forever after perfect. That we keep coming back to God for grace. This is a greeting in Peter's letter. It is a blessing over the people. It is an acknowledgement and a prayer for them that they would experience more and more grace. That as their imperfections come face to face with Jesus, that they would experience his grace and his peace. Maybe a better rendering of this phrase, Peter is saying, may you experience God's grace and peace multiplied in your life. Multiplied in the sense that you receive it and you give it, but also multiplied in the sense of bounty, that it is a bountiful amount, an overflowing amount of grace and peace in your life. I think we tend to think of those early Christians, the early church, especially the apostles. And we look at a, a lot of our art and we see them glowing and we think, wow, those are people who have it all together. The early church really knew what they were doing. They followed Jesus so well at the start. The New Testament is literally basically made up of letters about church fights. Like they couldn't even get along with each other. And the apostles are writing to them in the midst of having their own squabbles about which rules they're going to follow and which ones they're not, about here's what we think you need to do to follow Jesus the best, and here's the encouragement and the challenge, the accountability we have for you. We may think of them as glorified and holy and having it together, but it's simply not true. They also needed God's grace, and they knew it. They were still the same everyday people that Jesus had called to come and follow. They were just undergoing learning and change. So Peter has some wisdom to share with people because Jesus got a hold of the life of a fisherman and he said, come and follow. And as Peter spent time with him and learned from him and was changed by him and learned how to imitate him, he gained some wisdom and some peace and some grace that he wants to pass on to the people. Peter knows that the people he's writing to in this letter are everyday people just like him. I think we need to know and recognize that the people that Peter is writing to are everyday people just like us. People with day jobs and families and doubts trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in everyday lives. We're going to spend some time over the next few weeks in this letter from Peter as he describes for followers of Jesus what it looks like to follow Jesus day in and day out. 
And as we do that, I, I want to introduce you to a, a phrase that you'll be hearing a lot, not just in the next few weeks, but in the months and seasons to come. And it's words that I hope make you smile when you think about who we are as a church. And it's words that I hope encourage us and grow our determination to become who God is calling us to be. And in light of what I said earlier about our words really mattering, I want you to know that these words have been thought through and talked through and prayed through. And that for our pastoral staff, to the best of our human abilities, we believe this captures who we are as a church and who God is calling us to be in a way that is hopefully really easy to remember. That we are everyday people following Jesus every day. Our church is made up of everyday people following Jesus every day. You and I are fishermen and money handlers, moms and dads, sisters and sons, clerks and counselors, servers and shift workers, friends and neighbors. We're not trying to be superstar Christians. We're not trying to show off how great we are or how much better our church is. We are just trying to be us, our authentic selves. And the only thing that we want to show off is how good the grace and love of Jesus is and the difference that it makes in our lives. We are followers of Jesus, actively choosing to spend time with him, to be molded by him to learn how to better imitate him every day in our lives and our relationships. And we are aiming to do this every day. Not just on Sundays, not just when life's falling apart or we really want the favor of God, not just because we made a New Year's resolution and we better get our act together every day. For too long, I think the American church has been geared toward being an event-based entity. That weekly and seasonally, you put on the big event and you pray for the impact that it might have. But Jesus did not call his first disciples or us to an event-based ministry. He didn't call Peter and his friends to come and be part of big event after big event, although they certainly were. But I think as we read through the Gospels and we read the big events that they highlight, we go, oh, this is what their everyday life must have looked like. But we don't read about the travel days. We read a little bit about them bickering with each other. We don't read about the conversations late into the night or in the early morning around a dwindling fire, Jesus invited them to come and follow, to come and spend time with him, day in and day out, doing the work he called them to do in the places that he led them. Everyday people following Jesus every day. Now, I do want to say that if you hear this phrase and you read this and your reaction is, well, duh, <laughs> we're a church. <laughs> we follow Jesus. It's kind of what we do. Uh, I want you to know that you're not alone in having that reaction. Um, we're not trying to win any marketing awards with this phrase. Well, we're trying to capture 
who we believe we are and who God is calling us, who we believe God is calling us to be. On the other hand, if you hear this or read this and you feel challenged by it, or maybe even a little defeated by it, like, yeah, but I can't, I, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Following Jesus every day, you're probably closer to the truth than you might want to be. I, I know I feel that way as I stare at this. Not at, not at first, but as I look at it, and I think it through and what it means for my life, I find this intimidating, overwhelming even. In the midst of this letter that Peter writes, he's talking to these scattered believers about the suffering that they are enduring. They're far from home. They're often the minority in their area by belief, if not by culture. Their bodies and their families are constantly in danger. They're going through persecution every single day. And, he says, there is good that they are to do every single day. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. We are so wired to see suffering as a bad thing, something to be prevented or avoided, that when it happens to us, we easily assume that that means we're justified in responding badly, that a bad hurt justifies bad actions. And we can see that everywhere around us. It seems to be the way our politics are wired. It seems to be the way half of social media presents itself. Well, you said something about me. You did this thing I didn't like. You made this policy that makes my life hard. Therefore, I can act badly toward you. Now, if we go around individually in society, we would mostly say in our country, no, no, we don't do that, right? That's what we teach our children. No, you can't just punch them because they punched you. Like, treat others as you want to be treated. And so that, those, are, those are nice words that are not typically how we function as a society today. However, we are not following society's permissions. We are following Jesus. Peter tells us, Jesus is your example. You must follow in his steps. Okay, Peter, what steps of Jesus are we supposed to follow in? What actions do we imitate? How do we be more like him? Peter continues in verse 22. He, speaking of Jesus, he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. 
Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. We are called to be dead to sin and to live for what is right all the time, every day, to bear the burdens of others, to not threaten revenge or retaliate when insulted, to trust God for justice. We are called to imitate Jesus, to never sin and never deceive. Okay, deep breath. Let's go back to what we mean by following for just a second. Because it is imitation, yes. It is also being changed. It is learning and growing and being molded to be more like Jesus. It is undergoing a process. We follow a savior who transforms lives. We follow a savior who transforms lives, hearts, minds, motivations, desires. He has changed us and he will continue to change us. The example of Jesus that we are supposed to follow every day. We're not here yet. Some of you are a lot closer than I am, but I feel safe saying we're not here yet. We are everyday people who fall short of the example of Jesus just about every day. Which is why I wanted to start with the beginning of this letter and Peter's blessing of more and more grace. I don't know anyone who has followed this example of Jesus perfectly, and neither do you. You may know someone who has accepted grace really, really well, who has sought to imitate Jesus, even when life is really, really hard, who's had their perspective transformed by Jesus and who will follow him through anything, including their own suffering and shame. Can you imagine a life that could endure through anything, through suffering and sin and shame and still experience more and more joy and grace and peace. That is the life that Jesus invites us to. That's the life that he is inviting you to come and follow him into, to come and imitate and experience to truly come alive. And that's the story that we wanna tell with our lives. That's the story we wanna tell as a church, a story that isn't about how perfect or amazing we are. It's a story about how perfect the grace and love of Jesus is and what it has meant to us. 
It's a story of how this grace and love of Jesus can transform anybody, everyday people, any day, every day. We talked about this verse a couple of weeks ago, but I want to go back to it, uh, this time in the English Standard Version. This is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. His grace. His mercies are new every day. There is more and more grace every day, every day. Just like those first disciples, Jesus knows that you and I are gonna mess up. (laughs) He knows we're not coming to him perfect. He invites us to come and follow not because we're so amazing, not because of all the ways that he has gifted us and as a community, God has gifted us in incredible ways. He's not inviting us because we're somehow the superstars that he wants to mold and raise up. He is inviting everyday people with real lives and families and neighborhoods and jobs to come and follow him, to come and spend time with him, The God of the universe is inviting you to come and spend time with him in scripture and in prayer. To come and learn and grow, be changed and molded so that we can better imitate him. We can better share his love and grace in the world around us. In all of our day in, day out, messy roller coaster, everyday relationships. Everyday people following Jesus every day. As we seek to do that, will you pray with me? (coughs) Father God, I thank you for your grace. That we can come to you as we are. We don't have to try to hide things or shine ourselves up or get our act together before we come to you. That you invite us as we are. Doubts and brokenness and hopes and faulty dreams, all of it. We're invited to come and learn from you. Father, would you teach us? Would you shape us? Would you grow who we are so that we might be able to better imitate you, share you, reflect your love and grace? God, we want to see your grace and peace multiplied. Would you give us the courage and the wisdom to accept it, the humility to come to you broken and accept your grace and your peace? Would you give us the courage and the wisdom to share it, the humility to know that we don't have to tell everybody how we have it all together and we're, we're fine, but to share how your grace and peace is transforming our lives, transforming our community, transforming our church. God, I'm so grateful that you transform us, 
that we've been adopted as your sons and daughters. We are children of God. We are declared holy and we are being made more holy, more perfect, experiencing more and more of your grace. Father, would you show us the way? Would you lead us to doing the work you have for us to do in the places you lead us to go? Would you remind us that we are following you every day? Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.